wanted this day to be a special day in the life of this church family because we all need to remember that none of us got here by ourselves. Uh, we stand on the shoulders of others. And uh, no matter when you came to this church, no matter when anybody will come in the future, this is a day when we need to remember that God has worked in this place in significant ways through the decades and has blessed us in ways that we cannot even begin to express and to share. We begin a new series this morning. It seems appropriate that our next worship project, which will be premiered next Sunday night, is entitled Hope is Rising. So it seems appropriate that over these next few weeks, we're going to talk about the word hope and how we need to offer hope to this community and to the world. So I want you to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 this morning. <clears throat> And I hope all that crew is out there fixing that food that they say they've got for us in just a little bit. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, the church God can use. I think you want, and I want, Sherwood Baptist Church to be a church, not just that God has used, but a church that God can use. There are many famous churches in the world. You can travel the world and see many churches that are known by their architect uh, designs and by the paintings in their ceilings or their stained glass windows. Uh, Terry and I have had the privilege of being in St. Peter's in Rome and Wesley's Chapel in London and the Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York, the Moody Church in Chicago and many others through the years. Some churches are famous for their buildings. Some are famous because they have great Sunday schools. Some are famous because of their pastors. Too many are famous for what they used to be and not what they are now. Some have become famous for the wrong things. Some that were famous 60 years ago don't even exist today or they become irrelevant to the gospel and to the culture. Some would say that Sherwood Baptist Church is a famous church. And yet I would, before we get too high on our horses, I would submit to you that there are six and a half billion people in the world that don't know we exist. So uh, let's not ever strut about whatever we think our fame is. But God has used this church in remarkable ways. God has used us through Sherwood Pictures to be on every continent. God has used us through our giving through the International Mission Board to touch over 150 nations. Last year, in the poorest, fourth poorest city in America, we were number 42 out of 60,000 Southern Baptist churches in giving to international missions. That is a remarkable testimony for the giving heart of this church. But I, I want to go back to something and remind you of a little history here. 
Uh, and I did not realize this until Jim McBride, who has gone through every deacon's minutes, business meeting, everything else uh, over the last months, and has scoured through all of our stuff uh, to get us ready for this day. He said, I've got a couple of things I think you'd be interested in. April the 20th, 1983, in the minutes of the regular March 23rd, 1983 meeting were read and approved. And upon motion, letters were granted as set out in Exhibit A, which is all business meeting stuff. But number two, the deacons met and approved, substituting the Tom Elliff family for the Don Rice family as our missionary family. Who knew in the 1980s when God called Tom and Jeannie Elliff to go to Zimbabwe and we adopted them as the family that we would pray for? Who knew that he would become the president of the International Mission Board? And who knew that he would preach in this church over 90 times up to this point? Who knew the voice he would have in our church? You never know what you're doing until you look at it looking back. In 1991, I asked John Brunson, who was our moderator at the time, uh, I said, John, I need to call a business meeting in the middle of my sermon. He said, what? I said, I'm going to call a business meeting in the middle of my sermon, and I'm going to make a motion, and I need you to moderate it, and I need you to call for the vote. Then the business meeting will be over, and I will continue my sermon. So on May the 12th, 1991, in a Sunday night service in our old worship center, the church unanimously approved the following motion. That the membership of Sherwood Baptist Church commit to pay whatever price God requires to build a New Testament church until he comes. Whatever sacrifice, inconvenience, time in prayer, or service is necessary, we will pay it and we will do it. So from 1991, we've operated with that mentality. Whatever God asks us to do, we're going to do it. Whatever he puts before us, we're going to say yes to him. This letter that Paul writes to the Thessalonians is a letter to a famous church. They are famous all across the region. Everybody knows about them. It's one of the earliest letters that Paul would write and it says basically that the church at Thessalonica was everything he wanted every church to be. He doesn't wait until late in the letter. Right at the top, he begins to talk about them and about what made them famous, what made them the kind of church that God could use. Now, if you notice the book of 1 Thessalonians, there's nothing in there about the size of the church. There's nothing in there about what kind of music they sang. There's nothing in there about if they had small group Bible studies or Sunday school. There's nothing about what time they gathered to worship. There's nothing about if they had a youth ministry or children's ministry. What they had were the things that mattered. The things that mattered to God as God's Holy Spirit put into the heart of Paul to write this letter and guided his writing of this letter, he gave him the words that needed to be written. So Paul has preached the gospel there. He has sent Timothy 
to find out what's going on in Thessalonica. And Timothy brings a good report, a great report back. And let me just kind of walk you through it real quickly. In chapter 1, he says there's no idolatry in the church. In chapter 2, there's no idleness. These people are busy about the work of the church. In chapter 3, they are intolerant of disunity. They are united in one front. In chapter 4, they're not ignorant of the truth. He wants them to know the truth, and there's no indifference. Chapter 5. So chapter 1 and verse 2, we give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers and constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. Now you can write by chapter 1 and verse 3, they were a working church. They were not a lazy church. They were a working church. The future of any church is dependent on people doing what God asks us to do. And this church labored. They weren't afraid to go to work. In fact, verse 3 summarizes this church. Everything you want to know about this church is found in verse 3. Their work of faith, their labor of love, their steadfastness of hope. Verse 4, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Just as you know what kind of men we we proved to be among you for your sake, you also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all believers in Macedonia and Acacia. That word example means mold or pattern. It was used to imprint a hammer to imprint on an object like brass or wood. It eventually became a word that meant you are the seal of approval. This was a seal, like a king's seal. You were the seal. You were examples in your conduct. You were examples of authentic Christianity. You were examples of what a church ought to be. You became an example. Now, it's interesting there that you is singular. It's just one church. That you is singular. You are acting as one body with one purpose. And all these other churches have learned something from your example and what they have done when they have seen what you are doing. They've said, I, I, I wish we could love like that. I wish we had faith like that. I wish we had hope like that. I wish we lived like that. They were an example. They raised the bar. Verse 8, for the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Acacia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth so that we have no need to say anything. Second thing about them, they were a witnessing church. They were not only a working church, they were a witnessing church. People knew about them. They knew what they stood for. They were evangelistic. They were missional. God has allowed us to be that. So we have no need 
to say anything. Verse 9. For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead that Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come that they're awaiting church. They're anticipating that Jesus is coming back. You know, I, I told somebody when we were having refresh a few weeks ago that one of the things that made us evangelistic and missional and love across all lines during the days of the Jesus movement is we all really believed Jesus was going to come back then, in that moment. And when a church, if it ever loses the thought that Jesus is coming back, then it loses its sense of urgency. M.R. DeHaan, who was one of the great radio Bible teachers of another generation, had a motto on his desk that said, perhaps today, perhaps today, Jesus could come back at any moment, at any time. We do not know the hour of the day, but we know this. Every chapter in 1 Thessalonians ends with a reference to the second coming. This church lived in anticipation of the coming of Christ. So it put a sense of urgency in them. Look at verse 9 about the report. He said, for they themselves report to us. What, what does that word mean? It, it means to spread out. It is a word for a trumpet blast or a clasp of thunder that gets everybody's attention. The report about this church got everybody's attention. People were waking up. They were curious. They were trying to find out, what is it about this church that God is using and blessing in so many ways? The report was life-changing. How you turn to God from idols. Here's what this church knew. Idols are dead and God's alive. Idols are counterfeit. God is true. Idols can't help us and God can Idols offer no hope, and God does. Now look at what verse 3 says. They exhibited what we would call the three essential Christian graces, faith, hope, and love. Faith is directed toward God. Their faith toward God. Their love directed toward others. And their hope directed toward the future. Their faith directed toward God, their love directed toward others, and their hope directed toward the future. Uh, one person said, faith rests on the past, love works in the present, and hope looks to the future. All three of these words are active words. So faith works. Now he describes what that looks like in verses 4 and 5. Love labors. He describes what that looks like in verse 5, the last part, in verses 6 through 8. And hope is steadfast, and he describes that in verse 10. So if you want to know what, what New Testament Christianity looks like and, and what a New Testament church looks like, it has faith and hope and love. It is faith that works and love that labors and hope that endures. Paul uses these three words in Ephesians and Colossians and in Corinth. They describe a mature church. 
Now, what is a church? A church is a group of the called out ones. The word is ecclesia, to call out. To call out implies we are called out for a purpose. And what we're called out for is to worship together the living God. It implies worship to be called out. It implies that the miraculous is going on in our midst to be called out. That when the world looks at us, they see in us and through us, individually and collectively, they see in us a body that is alive and active in the business of being like Jesus in this world. Verse 1, they were in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, which means they took their very being from God. And so I want you to see three things quickly. First of all, 60 years of faith that works. Manly Beasley had the best definition of faith I've ever heard. It's coming up on the screen. Faith is believing that it's so when it is not so, so that it can be so because God said so. Say that with me. Faith is believing that it is so when it is not so, so that it can be so because God said so. This church is a living example of that. When this piece of land was donated by the Haley family, along with the property for Porterfield and the property for Covenant Press at the same time, it was an act of faith to build a church out here. Nobody knew what this was going to be. There was no long-range plan that said that we would be surrounded by houses and have a mall down the street and a Chick-fil-A and other things in our neighborhood. I mean, nobody knew any of that. It was an act of faith. Faith is believing that it's so when it's not so, so that it can be so because God said so. Faith is not just saying, oh yeah, I believe. Faith acts, it works. We didn't get here without acts of faith. To put that shovel in the ground that first time for the worship center that stood now where our atrium stands. For that to happen, it took an act of faith. Had to convince a bank to loan a group of people money to build a church. Albert Cardwell told me that when they went to the bank to get the money, one of the bankers said, well, we'll loan you the money because if the church doesn't work out, we think we can turn that property into a motel. I'm still trying to figure out how that logic worked, but I'll go with it. Hebrews says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. By faith, Abel offered, Abraham obeyed. By faith, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and Moses. By faith, the walls of Jericho came down. All these gained approval through their faith. If we want to see God's blessings in the next 60 years, we operate by faith. Whatever God says, we'll do it. They work by faith because they believed Jesus was coming back. Secondly, 60 years of love that labors. Love is an action word. Now, there are a lot of references about to come up on the screen. And I, I have to say that I have seen every one of these in some form evident in the life of this church, either in a few or in many. But I've seen these acts of love acted out, laboring out in the life of our church. 
Ephesians 4.16, love leads us to build up the body. Galatians 5.13, love serves others. Ephesians 4.2, love bears with others. Galatians 6.2, love carries another's burdens. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, love encourages others. Ephesians 5.21, love submits to others. Ephesians 4.32, love forgives. 1 Peter 4.9, love offers hospitality. That's what God's done here. All those things are characteristics of things that are part of the DNA and the flow of life in this body called Sherwood. I see it. I see it in the people that give up sitting in a seat to go serve in our buddy ministry with our preschoolers and with our children. I see it in the people that take their vacation time to go to kids camp and youth camp. I see it with the volunteers that work out at Legacy Park where 70% of the people that use our park are not members of this church. I see that love acted out in the prayer cards that we send to people. I was telling somebody this week that when Arnold Palmer's wife was dying of cancer, our church sent almost 600 prayer cards to him and to her. And a few months after she died, I was talking to his secretary, and and she said, just last week, Mr. Palmer reached down into his bottom right drawer of his desk and pulled out stacks and rubber bands of prayer cards from Sherwood and sat there and read every one of them and wept. And that day he came out of his office and we talked about why in the world would you pray for us? Because of love. Because God so loved the world, that means God so loves everybody. It means we don't pray for some, but for this reason, that we pray for everybody. One of the vital things about what God is doing in this church is our prayer ministry in praying for other people. You know, I, I had somebody say to me this week, you know, it's hard to throw away a prayer card. I, I think somewhere in everybody's family in this church that has received prayer cards, one day when, when you die, they're going to go through your stuff and they're going to say, what are all these cards for? And guess what? They're going to be a witness to your lost family members. That there were people that loved you and prayed for you. I see it. Verse 6 that love was contagious with joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, by the way, Acts 17, 6, these men who have turned the world upside down have come to our city as well, was spoken about the church in Thessalonica. And then 60 years of faith and love, now hope that endures. Now, they were in a time of persecution. It was growing. But they were stable. They didn't get panicked by the circumstances. They didn't put hope in idols. Look at what it says. Is they turned to God from idols. Now this is a very important how Paul words this. They turned to gods from idols. Literally, a change of immediate consequence with a deliberate choice. There was an immediate change in their life. They didn't just go, oh, that's interesting. Idolatry God. Hmm. There was a life conversion. There was a drastic change. 
And that's why the change was so real to them that the change thundered out, rolled out, reported, because God had done so much. They turned to God from idols. It doesn't say they turned from idols to God. It doesn't say that. What we would say typically is, oh, that person turned from idols to God. It says they turned to God from idols, which means their motive was not that they found how disgusting their idolatry was. Their motive was they saw how good God was. You know, it's hard for you to convince somebody that's trapped in sin that their sin is ugly. So what we have to show them is how good God is. They turned to God from idols. They, they, Christ captivated their hearts. They served the living and true God. Man, I've seen a lot of examples of that here. 27 years. If Billy had left earlier and I'd come to three years earlier, I'd have been here half the time, but I've been here 27 of the 60. There are probably some people saying, I hope he's not going to be here for the 75th. Uh, I'll probably be in glory and I wish you all well. <laughs> I've seen so many examples of this church persevering in the steadfastness of hope. When the 500-year flood hit this community, we never asked one person where they went to church when we started tearing out walls and putting up sheetrock. Not one person. In fact, the first home that we repaired was a home where a Mormon family lived. When people were having to leave their homes and our Family Life Center became a refuge. I saw people that lived in Doublegate and in other areas around our community serving people that lived in $25 a week rental property, washing their clothes, cleaning up the bathrooms. We served 27,000 meals out of a kitchen in an old fellowship hall that wasn't made to serve 2,700 people every day, day after day. Volunteers from almost every state in America and our people got in and served. When we moved into this building, we had to change the fire alarm system in 24 hours. And there was dust everywhere. And members of this church came out in that area out there in the what is now the atrium where the air conditioning pipes that are up here in the ceiling that you can't really see now huge air conditioning pipes sharp metal that had to be moved we had dozens of women bring vacuum cleaners up here the night before so we could get a certificate of occupancy after dark on saturday so we could take possession of the building on sunday nobody complained I saw people, some are sitting in the choir, some are sitting out here, that were literally on their knees cleaning the steps and the stairways to get dust out of them. Nobody complained. The men that showed up out of Legacy Park, the heat of a summer and stretched chain link fence around 100 acres, you know why? Because that park offers hope. My prayer is that everything we do offers hope to people. 
that it says to them that life can be better no matter what happens. It says to the widow and the orphan, to the single parent struggling to raise her children, to the special needs child that is ignored by society, to the teenager tempted to cave in, to the person struggling with addictions and habits they think they cannot be free from, to the couple who need help raising their kids, to the couple that can't have kids, to the mom who is exhausted, to the dad who is overworked, to the person who struggles to make ends meet, to the person who is successful with a five-ulcer success, to the person tempted to move on and leave Albany because there's more money or better opportunity, but God wants them here, to the blue-collar worker who staggers home exhausted, and to the one in poverty who feels that they wouldn't be welcomed in any church, we need to say, hope is rising. To every tribe and every tongue and every race and every nationality, this needs to be a safe place. Because the gospel came to us in power. The hope for this region is the gospel. It's not in our buildings. It's not in our facilities. It's the gospel that we preach. It's the gospel that we live out. It came with words in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. The Word of God is the Spirit sword. It comes with the power to open blind eyes and give help to the hopeless. It makes us authentic. When we are people of faith and hope and love, it makes us authentic to the world. So we must offer hope, which means we spur one another on to love and good deeds. We preach one way to heaven, Jesus. We model change lives. We love everyone. We hate sin, but we do not hate sinners. We are unselfish rather than greedy. We believe in the power of prayer. We run in our lane knowing that when we get discouraged, we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses spurring us on. We pray because we know there is power from heaven. We preach and we teach that dry bones can live. We worship as if we are at the feet of Jesus because, as Bob Bakke reminded us, we are nothing. And He is everything. So we worship like we're at the feet of Jesus. We live like Jesus is coming back. We pray for revival until we see it. We will be spiritually optimistic in a pessimistic society. We will be salt and light in this region. We will maintain the unity of the body. We will lock shields and walk by faith so that we can attack the very gates of hell. We will wait and we will watch for the return of our Lord. But until He comes back, we will work out our faith 
We will labor in our love, and we will be steadfast in our perseverance so that when some of the children maybe that are in this building today or in preschool today, when this church celebrates 75 years or 100 years, should the Lord tarry, they would say of us, we give thanks to God for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. In every place, your faith toward God has gone forth. May it be so that God might be glorified, not just in our past, but in the days ahead and our future. There's an old saying used to be used in the 50s and 60s, hats off to the past, coats off to the future. There's much land to be taken, folks. There's much for us to do. We have a greater legacy to build on. We have a greater responsibility than we've ever had. And so I want us, if you can physically, just to get on your knees. And I want us to pray. And I want to guide you in some things that you can pray this morning. Would you pray first of all and just thank God for the 309 people that came out on a dirt road to start a church called Sherwood. Would you just thank God for them? Would you thank God that First Baptist had a vision to plant a church way out on the edge of town? Would you thank God for the men and women that have taught in Sunday school, in missions, church training, everything you can teach in, for the people that have invested in others and used their gifts for others? Would you thank God that somebody provided the seat that you're sitting in and somebody provided the parking space that you're parked in would you thank God for the people that have worked behind the scenes for months to get all of this ready today the videos the legacy hall everything the folks that are out have given up being in church this morning to be out at Legacy Park getting ready for us. Would you thank God for the school that God's given us, for Legacy Park, for the Coke plant? Thank the Lord for 
the men that have stood in this pulpit, for the staff that have been in this church through the years that have invested in this church family. Now would you ask God, Lord, move in our midst as never before. Draw the lost to this place. Draw families, singles, young people to this church. Save people through our crisis pregnancy center. Restore families through our counseling ministry. Help us to reach the hundreds of families that use Legacy Park for the gospel. That in providing recreation, we in fact have been given an opportunity to share good news. Pray that those that come behind us will find us faithful to the things that we have done and should be doing. Lord Jesus, we humble ourselves before you and know that nothing we are known for would matter if you had not saved us. If you had not changed us from death unto life. Lord, every one of us in this room that know you in some way, shape, or form have turned to God from idols. We found in you hope. We put our faith in you. We saw the love that you have for us. And God, I pray that that this church will be more vital and more alive in the coming years than she's ever been. The times are desperate and they are demanding. And this region deserves this church at her best, doing what you've called us to do, picking up the mantle, sharing the cross, loving the lost, Offering hope to those who feel defeated and downtrodden. Lord, may we be the kind of church that you can trust with continued blessings and a continued outpouring of your spirit in our worship services and in our ministries. Protect us, Father, from the evil one that wants to make us irrelevant and I pray that we will be as relevant as tomorrow's headline. That we are cutting edge enough to do whatever it takes to reach the next generation for Christ. For we pray it in the name of Jesus. And the children of God known as Sherwood Baptist Church said, Amen. Amen.